Hi, I'm Alex Wawero, and this is Winning at Law, a podcast that celebrates excellence in the legal profession. Here, we spotlight Africa's greatest legal minds and highlight the nuances that make them who they are. Happy Women's Month. Our focus this month is on inspirational women in various spheres of the law. Our guest today is Noreen Kidunduhu, a senior associate at Triple OK Law Advocates. Noreen is passionate about arbitration and her experience has seen her serve in several capacities in the world of arbitration. She was recently appointed as co-chair of the Chartered Institute of Arbitrators Young Members Group. With several achievements under her belt, Noreen is a perfect example of a young lady lawyer scaling the heights of the legal space. So hi, Noreen. Welcome. Welcome to this podcast. Uh, We are doing a special edition uh, for Women's Month and we're honored to have you here. So I'd like us to begin with you telling us a bit about your background. You know, how did you come into the law? We all have very many stories about how we got into this diverse practice. Mm-hmm. How did you get here? What was your journey like? All right. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, how I got into law or the practice of law was by, I'd say, chance. <laughs> So immediately after um, high school, that is KCSE, mm-hmm. um, I, I needed to figure out what next. So what was what was I going to do in uni? Um, and at that point in my head, I thought it would be international relations. Yeah, and my mom. <laughs> I know. Like. <laughs> and my mom, my mom was like, I I feel like you should aim higher. Like you know, think think broader and wider about what you want to do. Um, and then I went back to, I was in Precious Blood. So I went back to high school to pick my leaving certificate. And while I was there, I had a conversation with um, a parent who had come to see his daughter. And he said to me, oh, um, why are you in the school? And I was like, yeah, I finished last year. And he's like, what did you get? And I, I said an A minus. And they said, so what do you want to do in uni? And then I said, IR. So he sat there for a few minutes and then he said, tell me, give me a breakdown um, of what you got in each subject. Um, and then he then listed careers that he thought would suit uh, uh-huh. what he thought my strengths were based on what I got um, in KCSE. And then out of the list, um, he said law. And I was like, I hadn't actually thought about <laughs> being a lawyer up until that point. Um, and so I went back home um, and started doing research on uh, unis that I could, because in my head it was clear that I wasn't going to go to a public university. Mm-hmm. So it was which private university, either here or abroad, that I could study law in and I could easily get into. Um, and then turns out, um, actually a friend of my brother's, he's called Pete Mungai, who was in MMC and now he does his own thing. Um, told my bro, um, I'm in Catholic university and we do, we have a law program and the best bit about it is you could do trimesters. At that point, no one was doing trimesters. Exactly. Like you literally yeah. rush um, your law program. And that's how I ended up uh, <laughs> in law school. Um, and the idea for me was if I didn't like it from the first semester, I would switch um, to something else. Um, and I enjoyed it. I walked in, enjoyed every single class of my first year um and aced all my classes i was like okay maybe this is where i need to be um and that is how i got (laughs) i got here and just um 
kept you know going you know after uni of course KSL and started working um okay. and then here I am all right so um after Kenya School of Law mm-hmm. uh, where did you undertake your pupillage I went to Triple OK Law um and the story of pupillage is interesting because I got pupillage offers from a couple of firms um and she put I did which was surprising <laughs> even for me <laughs> okay. and I actually even signed a contract with uh, man Mudharia Mudhara yeah, Mugambi yeah. um what is the a name someone in Jondro yes, yes yeah so man um and yeah i had signed a contract with them and then tripolo k law call us a last minute and say you know coming for a pupilage interview and i do the first interview and move to the second round and then they call me back to sign a contract and then now i have a dilemma mm-hmm. <laughs> um and then i just look through the areas of practice um and by that time I, it was clear in my head that i wanted to uh, be a, at least a litigator and triple law's practice at that time was very very wide so that is how i made the decision to just uh, take up the triple okay law offer ended up doing pupilage there for a year so um at our farm pupilages for 12 months at the end of the 12 months we were called in for interviews to be retained as associates um um and this I, is regardless of whether you've been admitted Yes, bar. whether you're admitted to the bar or not. Um and then we had the interview and then they sat me down and said, "Okay, so we want to retain you, but do you want to do dispute resolution or commercial work?" And I was like, "Both." <laughs> and they're like, "No, you have to you have to make a choice. Uh decide which which area of law you want to go into." Um and so I decided to go into dispute resolution. Mm-hmm. Um and so I was doing both litigation um and alternative dispute resolution at that time predominantly arbitration with um Ohaga who's the managing partner and Ochieng Mudo who's the senior partner and I thought after a year I would switch to commercial work but I didn't because I thoroughly enjoyed um litigating but also just um resolving disputes outside of the court system okay and then that's how, i mean in recent years we've seen adr as you know an area of practice really grow it so has it has it's quite lucky that you, you yeah know, you yeah. were able to really <laughs> push yourself in there mm-hmm. okay so you mentioned dispute resolution but I, i i do know that you have dabbled a bit in energy as mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. uh could you tell us a bit about that so it was it was interesting i started off of course as um a dispute resolution practitioner and then a couple of months in Strathmore was offering an executive course in oil and gas um and i remember uh, ohaga just sent out an email and said if anyone wants to take up this course uh, let me know and the firm will pay for it and for me it was actually just a good idea to be outside the office <laughs> and that's really really why i decided to because it was i think it was like um a three week course if not two weeks mm-hmm. so in my head it was just like three weeks away from the office let's do this um and that's how i ended up doing the executive uh, course in oil and gas in strathmore i was the youngest there i was with um the who's and who's uh, in in the in the legal industry and then there was just me who was wasting time and at that point i realized this is a lot bigger than i had imagined mm-hmm. um but then being in that class i began understanding you know how the oil and gas industry works um and particularly the power industry which is what i'm very passionate about because energy access is the backbone of everything think about um even just yourself when you wake up in the morning if your phone is not charged your alarm won't ring mm-hmm. um if your shower 
doesn't have hot water, then you have a bad mood. Exactly, the <laughs> you, whole day. The right. whole day, you need to iron your shirt. You need to uh, drive to wherever you're going. Mm-hmm. So energy is just the backbone of literally everything we do. And unfortunately, Africa has the least uh, energy access in the world. So where does us place us when it comes to economic development? So when I just thought about those things, I was like, this is where I want to be, where I can make a difference, not just for my country, but for the continent as well. Um, so that's how I ended up um, in in energy, so to speak, uh, with the oil and gas course. And then later on, um, a couple of years later, I undertook my master's at the University of Dundee in energy law. Let's just break this down for those of us wondering, <laughs> you know, what is a lawyer's role in the energy sector? We realize that, like I mentioned at the beginning, the practice of law is very diverse. Mm-hmm. There are many things you could do. Mm-hmm. So let's narrow it down to energy and when you think about an energy lawyer, mm-hmm. what is an energy lawyer, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. And even just energy law is also completely and extremely diverse. But, yeah. you know, the basics would be policy work. There's a lot of policy work around energy law, whether it's now climate change, sustainability, um, and even just energy access, you know. Um, how does, you know, energy move, power move from uh, the demand from generation to the demand centers? What are the tariffs? What do the tariffs look like? Because at the end of the day, we have to pay for the power. Um, so there are the contracts that come with that as well. Mm-hmm. You have to review mm-hmm. the contracts for generation. Um, we call them power purchase agreements that yeah. everyone has been talking about in the last year or so. Mm-hmm. Um, there is also a lot of transactional and commercial work, which is where the contracts come in. Um, negotiating for investors who um, want to come into the country and either generate power, which is what I do. If it's oil, it's the production of oil. Um, If it's gas, it's the supply of gas. So those are all commercial transactions as they move around and, you know, lawyers have to be involved. Okay, that's quite enlightening. (laughs) It is, it is. Um, And, you know, as I I was mentioning earlier, uh, before we started the podcast, um, an energy lawyer will require us to have, you know, um, other skills and additional knowledge just outside the law and regulatory issues. Um, You'll have to understand the economics of energy. Um, You'll also have to understand the physics of energy as well. Um, You have to put yourself in the industry. Completely. Okay. Completely. So let's move along into ADR. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know you've been in this space for (laughs) for a while now. Mm -hmm. So in your own words, Mm -hmm. I want you to come from you. Tell us about your recent appointment and and how did you get there? Um, So I, I got appointed as chair of the Global Steering Committee of the YAM Members Group of the Chartered Institute of Arbitrators, which is a mouthful. But the Chartered Institute of Arbitrators is an institute, um, an international institute that um, deals with qualifying ADR practitioners. So they promote access to justice outside of the court systems, um, and they also certify um, ADR practitioners. So in their governance structure, they have a global steering committee for their young members who are members under 40. Um, and so now I'm I'm the current chair of of that of that steering committee. Okay, so what does that involve? <laughs> um, so the committee itself, we are now currently eighteen of us from virtually every um, continent in the world, um, and the idea is to have a small group of people who. Um, understand the needs of young members in the group uh, and 
put together either projects or initiatives or events that will support the career progression of young members and also um, basically respond to their needs, uh, priorities and specialisms. So like now we have sat down and thought about, you know, like the expense of just becoming um, an arbitrator. An arbitrator yeah. it's, it's quite, quite pricey. It's quite yeah. pricey. Um, and we are thinking, how do we make it more affordable? How do we ensure that we're not closing out um, young people from the ADR sphere just because to get the qualification is expensive? Um, and then, you know, just also um, awareness. Because mm -hmm. ADR, much as it has been around for quite a bit, it's still mind-boggling in a sense, um, especially arbitration, because there's the procedures that come with it and everything that moves um, along. So just creating awareness, letting people know how um, domestic arbitration works, how um, international commercial arbitration works, how investment arbitration works, and then oh. you know the other spheres of ADR, how does mediation work, how does international mediation work, um, and so on. So okay. it's a lot of awareness building, capacity building, training, um, and just encouraging um, ADR practitioners to grow. Okay. Um, I'd like us to talk about it uh, from now a, a woman's perspective, mm -hmm. a woman in the industry uh, for a very long time. And not just the you know alternative dispute resolution space, but even the legal space as well, mm -hmm. has been pretty male dominated. Mm -hmm. So, how has your journey uh, been in terms of you know asserting yourself as mm -hmm. a young woman lawyer, mm -hmm. getting into this space full of all those people who've mm -hmm. been there for ages? <laughs> so, how has your experience been? Are there any particular things you had to grapple with? Mm -hmm. You know, how did you navigate that? Yeah. Um, I was lucky in a sense that um, I was in a farm where, although it's, it's still a male-dominated farm, um, we had at least the senior partner and the managing partner being very uh, supportive um, in terms of ADR. I remember um, one of the very first, my first interaction with international arbitration was because uh, John Moore, our uh, our managing partner mm -hmm. literally dragged me to a congress. It was a it was a roadshow for a congress, uh -huh. um, an arbitration one, um, and he was like, you know, you should be here to learn and see how things are done, um, and so that that's the kind of mentorship I have had in a predominantly um, dispute resolution practice firm. But I have to say, when I was retained as an associate um, at Triple OK Law, I was the only female lawyer in the dispute resolution, as an associate, a dispute resolution um, space. The next female was a partner, uh, yeah, who was Mary Sheila. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and so I didn't have, you know, my peers who I could be like, or people like two or three years ahead of me who I could be like, okay, so how do we navigate this space? There's a lot of, it's like an uncharted territory um simple things like even just how you know negotiating your salary um mm. how mm. do you navigate office politics which you know inevitably will be there yeah um, it always catches up with you <laughs> how do you advocate for yourself um and you know in, in a lot of those rooms and we used to have like you know team meetings um it'll just be men and then me and Bayshila. um <laughs> and you know Bayshila would be at that time just writing on you know how had notebook or on her phone or an iPad. She 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 never used to like speak much. Okay, <laughs> she, it's also part of her personality. Yeah, she only mm -hmm. speaks when she needs to when say she, something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And so I found myself mirroring that uh, behavior and we do it a lot as women. Like you walk into a room with people who are your seniors and you sort of observe how they operate and then you take on um, that personality, which I haven't seen a lot with men. Men will just be themselves, but women, we're always looking, okay, so what is the other woman in the room doing? And then I'll mirror whatever that is, especially if they're your senior. And so for a long time, I would not, you know, either voice my opinion or or my differences or, you know, even just advocate for myself um, until suddenly I found my voice. I do not know how. (laughs) In fact, sometimes the office, I'm known as the rebel without a cause because I just had to, every time there was something, you know, a policy that was passed or something that was said that I didn't think sat well with me, yeah. um, I felt that I needed to voice that. Um, so I do, I'd, I'd encourage, you know, leaders to be themselves, be authentically you. If, you know, for you, it's speaking up. Don't walk out of the, the room if you haven't said what you needed to say. Yeah. Um, if, if, you know, for you, it's, you know, de- depending on your personality, maybe it's writing, whatever you needed to say, you know, write it out and make sure, um, the point has been taken home in whatever shape or form. Um, but also looking to, to women who are older than you or even men to sort of mentor you and shepherd your way around. And I have been fortunate to have quite a number of those men. Interestingly, even um, ending up doing my master's in Scotland Mm -hmm. was because of an arbitration conference I went to, which is also very interesting. But sitting there with the chair of the Scottish Arbitration Center and he asked me, where do you see yourself three years from now? I said, doing my master's. And he said, in what? At that time, I just said oil and gas. And he said, if you're ever going to do um, a master's in oil and gas, you have to do it in Scotland. And when you're ready, send me um, an inquiry and I'll I'll put you through to the right people. And that's how I ended up um, in Scotland. But you also have to take initiative on your your own. I've had the privilege of um, mentoring a few, both, you know, men and and ladies. Mm -hmm. Um, And I find men a lot more aggressive when it comes to mentorship. I'll find three missed uh, calls from my phone mm-hmm. and a text mm-hmm. saying I wanted to talk to you about this and this. Um, my experience with uh, leaders is I'm the one who does the having to go and ask, you know, are you okay? Where are you at? Did you apply? Did you see this? Um, so I'd encourage, you know, a lot more initiative um, from from leaders t- to reach out to, you know, older women. Even for myself, I find myself, and it's 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 interesting because sometimes I've also reached out to older women. Um, and be like, how do I navigate this space? And they haven't been as responsive, unfortunately, as mm-hmm. men have been in mm-hmm. that regard. So I've also struggled with that. Um, but I'd say, you know, put the same effort that, you know, men do when they're seeking mentorship. Um, if it means leaving three missed phone calls yeah. <laughs> on yeah. the phone at some point, you know, someone has to look at their phone and say, okay, I need to call this person back. Um, yeah. So it has been a very interesting journey, but I'm, I'm grateful to have had, um, you know, almost like Northern stars that have just helped to guide me Along, on yeah. my path. Yeah. And um, it, it's interesting you'd say that because you've been fortunate enough to, you know, have that environment mm-hmm. where you're able to somehow climb your way up, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but then we realize that there are people going through the system, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the legal education system. Um, and in, I mean, the debate the debate is raging as to whether it really prepares you for what the real life is. So Mm -hmm. I'd like to get it from your perspective. Mm -hmm. What do you think needs to change, you know, from both, um, you know, a woman's perspective Mm -hmm. and from a young lawyer's perspective Mm -hmm. and from someone who is 
in the business, mm-hmm. so to speak. Mm-hmm. What are these things that you have observed that mm-hmm. need to change? Mm-hmm. You know, what is pulling us back? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I mean, to be really honest, I do not think um, there's enough that that you know can be taught to you during your legal education period to prepare you for what lies ahead mm-hmm. i think you can be given skills that you can now utilize um years ahead and and it, those are the skills that we are actually taught negotiation advocacy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um those are the skills we already have what you're never prepared for is what it looks like <laughs> what in, the, what <laughs> in the flesh <laughs> what it looks like in the flesh and i think that's where the shocking bit is and also just remembering to pull those skills from you know wherever they are and utilizing them in the moment mm-hmm. um i think that's usually hard enough um but i also think the way our legal education system is structured is that it's very black or white especially in my time you are either um in litigation or you are in commercial yeah. um now i mean every facet of life has a legal aspect you could be you know an aeronautical specialist mm. um you could do maritime law you could do energy law like i'm doing this uh, tmt technology media yeah, yeah. this ip there's just um a wide options that you have you don't either have to be a commercial lawyer or a, a litigator there's yeah. so much more you can do um there's a lot of consultancy lawyers are in virtually every company you can think of in the world but no one ever opens up your mind to the world the as it is and the opportunities are there but also so um internationally and you know when if we come back to arbitration most of the people i know in the arbitration space or the adr space are very fixated on domestic adr mm-hmm. um and there's there's there isn't enough or sufficient awareness of the world beyond kenya how does that look like and how can you play a part and plug in to the international sphere um so i would say you know expanding the scope of what legal education looks like um but also exposing students to just how far and wide um the the legal uh, yeah. profession can yes. be yeah it's true yeah. because you i mean these days you see many young lawyers venturing out on their own mm-hmm. and everybody wants to do the exact same mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. either want to be a litigator mm-hmm. or do commercial i mean mm-hmm. commercial is this big animal that's talked about but most people don't even know yeah. what is commercial yeah. Yeah. practice and so, commercial practice is also wide i mean think exactly. about sports law think about entertainment law there's so many areas yeah. um but your mind is just never opened up to those areas from the jump you either have to figure it out or stumble upon it or or you know by your own initiative find out about this areas or maybe just follow what your dream or your passion is uh, but if you know you're exposed to what it could be mm-hmm. from the very beginning then you be, you can be you can begin to prepare yourself um for what lies ahead um and even you know get those opportunities um internationally and globally okay yeah. you, you know you mentioned being a guiding light and a mentor to young lawyers mm-hmm. both male and female uh what methods do you go about uh in in mentoring them how do you even identify them or do they just come to you <laughs> i mean most of them come to me um a couple of course through the the law firm of course they start off mm-hmm. as either interns or pupils um and you know sometimes sometimes you know 
whatever it is um draws you to someone maybe it's their ambition maybe it's how you know they they view things and you see potential in them and then you mm-hmm. say okay um have you thought about looking at the, the this way or would you want me to walk you through the journey okay. um i'm also part of two networks uh, one is an energy a women in um we call it awedi african women energy development initiative Oh, um, never heard of it. <laughs> yeah, and it's purely a mentorship uh, program, but it's it's now you know evolved to to do bigger things. Um, but they pair you with mentees every every year from mm-hmm. across the 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 continent. Um, and I remember one of my first mentees was a Nigerian who is an energy engineer, and I didn't think those much I could you Teach know them. Yeah, yeah or expose them to. But then the beauty about mentorship is it's both ways because you learn from the mentee as much yeah, as you're in, mentorship. Mm-hmm, yeah, as much as you're also imparting into them. Um, so there's been there's been that as well so there's a structured mentorship that i have also with arbitration mm-hmm. um we have a mentorship program with the chartered institute of arbitrators mm-hmm. um and a lot of other institutions that have um arbitration mentorship programs so those are very structured um and then there are those that just happen organically either someone reaches out or you get along with someone and think you know i could help you because i know a thing or two Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, we'll move from mentorship into, you know, service mm-hmm. of the society. You know, we exist in a profession that is, you know, very big on, you know, the society, the mm-hmm. society of Kenya, mm-hmm. and we all know all the lawyers, you know, someone who works somewhere. So what has your contribution been mm-hmm. to the law society of Kenya? Have you been involved in the activities of the Law Society of Kenya? Mm-hmm. And uh, if so, what has your experience been? Um, for the Law Society, I sat um, on the bar bench committee for the constitutional uh, constitutional review bar bench committee. Oh yes, um, the um, yes, mm-hmm. with the court, um, and I also served as um, since my admission to the bar in the Law Society of Kenya's ADR committee. Um, oh. And they were both very fulfilling, especially being with the bar bench committee, just interacting with you know the judges and understanding how they think, mm-hmm. um, and you know how they would like uh, us as you know lawyers to assist them in the to, administration, yeah, of in the administration of justice. Yeah. So that was very very eye opening for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sitting in in the IDR committee as well. In fact, last year was the year before in 2020, we had to draft um, the Law Society of Kenya's arbitration rules. Okay. Um, and I led the committee in doing that. Oh. Um, um, the 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 draft paper was sent out to you know the society for comments. But as you know, the Law Society in this. <laughs> And this last period has been having, you know, its own uh, wrangles. And interestingly, you know, when um, everything started with the drama mm-hmm. that, you know, we should not go deeply into. Mm-hmm. One of the things we had discussed is, you know, how do we resolve this as ADR practitioners? Oh, yes. That uh, was that question. There was that, that as well. That was a lot of talk about, that was an attempt at mediation, mm-hmm. I know. 
but okay. Well, we will not delve into that. <laughs> we won't, but that's the thing about ADR. A lot of it is very consensual. So unless yeah. the parties are oh, agreeable to yeah. sit on the table, um, there's usually a lot of problems. And I know a lot of practitioners have said to me um, they struggle with ADR because it, it depends a lot on goodwill. I'd rather go to a court system where the judge just slaps you with an order whether you <laughs> yeah. you come to the table or not. Um, and some, And those are the things that we have to think about. You know, how do we tailor make ADR so that it's not this um, sphere where, you know, people feel like they're closed in because mm-hmm. of a clause that they inserted in their contract and they cannot get Which are what not is always thought out, mm-hmm. by the way. Yeah, because, uh, because of course, one, awareness, not too yeah. many lawyers have experience um, with drafting arbitration clauses, but that is what we intend to do, just to um, educate and train so that by the time you have a clause in your contract, it actually suits your purposes rather than defeat. Exactly, yeah. because most people just realize the clause is there when the dispute <laughs> appears. They're like, oh, wait. Like, we had an arbitration clause. <laughs> yeah. you, or you run to court and mm-hmm. then and the someone says, objects nope, and they're like, go back for yeah. arbitration. Okay, yeah. I mean, there's much work to be done. There uh, is. There's much work Certainly to be done is. in terms of, you know, just really demystifying that whole space. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, it's a good thing that you're there. And you have plans to actually help people yeah. understand that. So it's help me God. Nice. <laughs> Don't worry. May the force be with you. <laughs> so um, other than your recent appointment, you have been in the ADR space for a while. What are some of these other things that you are involved in or what have you been involved in in the arbitration space? My ADR journey is, is um, it dates back prior to even my admission to the bar. Um, but... Uh, you know, first, first I have to give credit to CBG Oma, who um, was the, I would say he planted the idea of the ADR practice in my head because mm-hmm. we had an elective in the Catholic University of Western Africa in our third year uh-huh. um, that was arbitration and ADR. Um, and I purely sat the class because I thought it would be an easy A. <laughs> um, and then, but sitting through the class, I, you know, it opened up my eyes to this entire sphere uh, of practice that uh, at that point wasn't you know well known or even well understood mm-hmm. um, and then after that i found out about the chartered institute of arbitrators which of course is a qualifying institution so i sat my associates course um, at the chartered institute of arbitrators passed um, and then began you know the steps to you know uh, becoming a member of the institute uh, because after a member, then you become a fellow and then you become um, a chartered arbitrator. So I started the process of, you know, becoming um, a chartered arbitrator. Um, and during that time, I became extremely involved in the Institute's work, mm-hmm. both domestically um, and internationally. internationally, but not just the Institute. Um, I, I, you know, I reached out to other institutions as well, which all have... Um, young members groups in whichever shape or form the lca have a young members group um the international uh, what do they call it ita international transnational arbitration group Mm -hmm. has um all the arbitration institutions actually have a young members group um and um i think my first appointment in in the international sphere was the regional representative of the association of young arbitrators 
And then after that, I was appointed as the regional representative of the London Court of International Arbitration Young uh, Members Group. And then um, I co-founded the Energy Arbitration Practitioners chapter in Kenya. Um, and then now became a member of the Global Steering Committee of the Chartered Institute of Arbitrators. Um, and all that work um, and everything I had done in that space finally led to my appointment uh, this year as chair of the Global Steering Committee of the Institute's Young Members Group. It's a wonderful journey. <laughs> yes. It's it's steps that you don't even realize will get you anywhere. Um, you're just taking the next step that you see in front of you and then suddenly um, you're at the helm. <laughs> Was it Martin Luther who said you don't have to see the whole staircase, yep. just take the first step? Just take the step. Okay. You're living step. that quote, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know that I think that's how I'd encourage because a lot of um a lot of us generally, whether in you know law or different different professions, you're always trying to see what's the end game or trying to plan, you know, what the end game would look like. Mm. But you know, of course the plan is good. But then um just ask what's the next step? What what's the next step? And some of the things will just be thrown on your lap, you don't see them coming. Someone points you to a certain direction. Um, an opportunity comes up that you never thought of or imagined. Just take it, take it, take it. When you look back is when you realize, oh my God, this is what I've been doing all these years. True. But if you're just taking incremental steps, you you don't see it. Every little step counts. Yeah. I'd like us to, you know, get into uh, Noreen, you know, not the professional, but Noreen, the person. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, you know, oftentimes you you see someone and you're just used to them at work. Mm. You know, this is what she does. This is her, all the things she's achieved. Mm. But what are some of these things that you do for leisure? You know, what mm. keeps you going? Mm-hmm. What 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 is it that you'd be doing on a Sunday afternoon, for instance? You know? For downtime. <laughs> yeah. um, lately, I have been drawn to... I just call them activities. <laughs> okay, that's Things a very that, general you know, term. Oh, yeah, it's very general because I don't even know how to how to place them. But you know, things that just excite me, and you okay. know, I would want to like um, this past weekend, I was at a mixology class at a Tribal Gallery. Oh, um, which was super fun. The weekend before that, I was horse riding. Which also was super fun. The weekend before that, I was at the shooting range uh, in Langata, um, which was also very intriguing and a lot of fun. Before that, I was at Kitengela uh, glass. glass, blowing glass and everything. Okay. Um, so I have I've just decided to you know find all these activities also because a lot of my friends who. Um, come from outside the country, would come to Nairobi and say, what can we do to, in Nairobi? And I'd say, there's nothing to do in Nairobi. Either uh, go to the yeah, coast yeah. or go to Masai Mara. And then one time I was like, actually, that's not true. There's so much. There's so much. It's true. There's so yeah. much to be done. So I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to find all these activities that I can do that's not too far from the city. Um, and that, you know, will just help me, you know, distress and have and downtime fine. after a crazy, a crazy week. Um and so, yeah, Ivan, you know, created a tiny page. It just has 200 followers on Instagram. Oh, that's not tiny. <laughs> Please subscribe. I'm a nano influencer. <laughs> but no, it's not even just to influence. It's just to document. Because sometimes when someone asks you, what do I do? I'm like, I can't think. But I'm like, oh, if I go to my page, I can look at some of the things that I've done in the last couple of, you know, weeks and months that I could recommend for someone to do. 
Okay. Yeah. I mean, heavy is a crown. You better, <laughs> you know, get out there and, you know, live life to the fullest. Really. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Um, yeah. And, you know, just about living life and having, you know, balance as as legal professionals. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, mental health and just caring for yourself holistically mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and not just burning out. And I remember my first years of practice um, were crazy. I'd leave work at ridiculous o'clock and be back at <laughs> bright and early <laughs> bright you know? and early and you know crazy hours as well um because there's this idea that you have to put in the time you have to do your hours before you can you know lay back and just rest and become an expert so to speak in your field um and i i think it doesn't necessarily have to be the case um mm. it's possible to put in um hours and i think now law firms are becoming very open to the idea even after the pandemic to just allow you know consistent breaks instead of waiting for um after 3 months then to you have this 3 weeks yeah. of you know downtime um and the pandemic has shown us i mean it's possible to balance the two even with you know flexi hours and hybrid working systems yeah as long as the work is done really uh, precisely. it doesn't matter where precisely. you are yeah you could be seated at a beach somewhere with your laptop drafting <laughs> a contract you sure. know sure yeah sure. And, and i mean many many have said that the you know the pandemic came has it they had its blessings it, really, it in its with, way because mm-hmm. we were able to open up our minds to other ways of working mm-hmm. you know other ways of doing things mm-hmm. and, and we were able to see life you know one moment you're here the next moment you're in hospital yeah you're like, wow, yeah you know yeah haven't really been living precisely precisely <laughs> okay so balance <laughs> exactly balance is everything mm-hmm. um is there i mean we're lawyers we're mm-hmm. obviously very well read um <laughs> are there quotes or is there a particular quote that Ooh. keeps ringing in your mind every you know to keep mm-hmm. you going you know the times when it's tough and yeah. this is one thing you always keep running back to there are many. <laughs> uh-huh, let's, let's have but, a few of your best. <laughs> but I mean, you know, one, one is Shakespeare to thy own self be true. That authenticity um, is key. But also, you know, of late, I found myself drawing a lot of um, strength, of course, from scripture mm-hmm. um, in my spiritual journey. Mm-hmm. But the, just understanding that, you know, God has a plan for me um and he's not a sadist True. <laughs> um, and he's working out everything for my good and everything will work out you know in his time so just surrendering all that to a higher power to work things out i'll just do what i need to do every day but you figure out what the tapestry looks like um and then direct me as i move um so yeah that i think i could agree <laughs> that is profound but yeah Okay. So thank you very much for taking the time today. Thank you for having this me. This has been very enlightening. I mm-hmm. mean, there are things I did not know mm-hmm. about energy law that you've yeah. been able to, you know, bring to light. Mm-hmm. And it's good to see, you know, you as a young, uh, relatively young, <laughs> upcoming <laughs> woman lawyer mm-hmm. paving the way for so many out there. Mm-hmm. So you're doing a good job and wish you all the best in your endeavors, really. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, I'll send my keynote for <laughs> the legal opinions that I have offered. Yeah. Okay. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Excellence involves sharing of ideas. If you enjoyed this episode, share Winning at Law with your friends and colleagues. You can find us on every major podcast platform. 
That's all for now. 